Good morning, everybody. How is everybody? Tell, turn to the person next to you and say, you're the best looking person I've seen all day. I'm not saying it's all right to lie, by the way. I'm just... Uh... Hey, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming today. If we've never met, uh, my name's Greg. I'm married to Sue. We have three adult children. Last week we weren't here because we were visiting the most important person in our life, and that's our granddaughter, who's two and a half. And I can tell you, I've got her. I've been working on her since the day she was born. And she's sitting on me saying, I love you, granddad. She's giving me kisses. Oh, it's a great, it's a great stage of life anyway. But our son stole her and took her to Sydney. So anyway, pre- he's preaching this morning up at Hillsong. So uh, I was praying for him as well. Hey, um, today I'm going to talk about our discipleship journey because we're all on a journey actually together. But there's a crucial moment that we'll all face. It's called the wall. We don't expect it. We actually think it's undeserved. It creates crisis and trauma in our lives, but it's actually a form of God's grace. And in my life, I've been through the wall many times. In fact, for some Christians, we go through it more than once. The unique circumstances of the wall is different for all of us, but the dynamic of what we face as disciples of Jesus is actually very similar. And, you know, sometimes you can get the... the, Uh, unfortunate definitely unrealistic opinion anybody who stands in front of a congregation or a group of Christians to teach or preach somehow has a perfect godly holy temptation free troubled free no suffering life is that right pastor Charles unfortunately that's not true in fact I I think there's this philosophy, you know, around in, in a lot of um, particularly older church leaders or Christian leaders that have done many more years on this journey of discipleship, have gone through the crisis called the wall. They talk about actually sharing in our vulnerabilities is more impacting than just always talking about our strengths. And so I want to be vulnerable with you today because Sue and I have been through what we call the wall. I'm going to describe it in a few minutes' time for you. Um, so I'm not doing my normal preaching of a passage. I want to, because we're focusing on discipleship this year, and part of what's within me with a passion is I, I'm just so frustrated when Christians give up their faith because they faith, face a crisis they're not sure how to get to, and often the the community around them of faith, because they've never pushed through this crisis or this wall, they don't really know how to help navigate other Christians and so really where I want to go today is I want to give you the courage and and allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen you so you have the tenacity to push through the crises in your life that you'll face because for some crazy reason in the Pentecostal world or bubble that we often live in we don't have a theology of suffering or grief we don't practice lament we're actually not sure what to do with it and I don't think it helps us because in actual fact, we all hit the wall. So, James, go to my next slide. Thank you. So I'm going to map it out like a journey. And in fact, I've, I've totally stolen this. This is not my original material. If you're really interested in what you hear today, there's a book called The Critical Journey. Um, so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. And it's put together by a theologian and a minister and a Christian psychologist. It came out in the 80s. 
Um, but it's actually not just their information, but, but you see it in scripture, in, in biblical stories. So Job hits the wall. He loses everything. But he still has to be faithful to worship and follow God. Peter hits the wall. He denies Jesus. And then Jesus is resurrected and he's sitting down having a discussion with the person he just denied. Right? Mary hits the wall. She finds out she's pregnant and she's not married. Joseph hits the wall. He gets sold into slavery. Now, there's a unique thing that you'll go through that's not my thing, but the dynamic of this journey is very similar. And in fact, for thousands of years, Christian leaders have been writing about this experience. So you may have heard of St John of the Cross, a Spanish priest that ended up in prison because he wanted some reformation uh, within the Catholic system that he lived in. And he writes about the dark night of the soul is the phrase that he used for it. You may have heard of that. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary who went to China um, found, and eventually founded Inland Mission, uh, China Mission, which still goes today, he ended up, he, he saw hardly any fruit year after year after year of doing mission work in China and he slipped into depression. Just like Elijah who faces the prophets of Baal and that gets hunted down and doesn't understand why God would allow that. Hudson Taylor ends up putting himself to bed. He can't get out of bed. You can read his story. His family actually wrote his journey about his war after his death. So let me present, there's sort of six stages that we go through. So here's the next one. Go, James. This is actually called a recognition of God. And my gosh, Pentecostals are good at this one. This is when, whoa, I've just somehow stumbled over God. This is unbelievable. Why doesn't everybody else see that there is a God? And in actual fact, everyone else needs to know what I can see right now. You know who embodies that for us? It's Charles. <laughs> right? He wants everybody in. This is like an awareness of God for the first time. You see everything differently. In our language, we'd call it salvation. We get this incredible understanding that there is a God and actually that God loves us. It's conversion. And we're so, you know, when you meet someone who's very new to the Christian faith, faith you, you can't put them out. They're like a fire that never stops, right? They invite everything that moves to church or to any Christian event, right? And we, we older Christians sort of a bit embarrassed because they put us to shame in terms of their enthusiasm and their passion and their drive. They, they, it's this, this whole thing of how on earth was I lucky enough to find out that God actually does exist and get to know him? This is, this is the first stage called recognition of God. And in this stage, we actually believe that God orchestrates everything. And so you hear a lot in this stage, people love the teachings around the perfect will of God, the alternate will of God. I'm not going to teach that, by the way. I'm just saying this is often. There's a sense of real harmony with God. You look at the sunset differently because you know God put it there. You look at the stars differently. You know, everything's sort of beautiful and wonderful because you've just encountered God for the first time. And yet... You implicitly trust the other Christians you've just joined with. You actually get connected with them and you get along. In fact, you're so hungry to learn more, you attend everything. So, you, you know, you go to the healing room, you go to the prayer meeting, you go to church, you go to connect group, you go to pursuit conference. You're, you're going to be at everything because you're desperate to learn, which is actually the second phase. Thank, thanks, James. Go to the next one. It's called the life of a disciple. This is sort of encapsulated by learning. So in this second phase of our discipleship journey, we all go on the same journey. It's, it's, it, there's uniqueness to all of it. 
but there's so so much commonality to these points in being a disciple ourselves no matter how old or young you are as a believer in Jesus you would you would relate to some of these things this phase is usually tied to joining a group of other Christians or following a particular church leader or a Christian leader someone who's a bit more mature than you are and in fact you're so desperate to learn how do I read this Bible how do I actually talk to God what is worship what's prayer what do you mean we have to give you know we just did our giving why do we give to God you're so eager and hungry to learn it's effective like it's a bit like doing an apprenticeship where you just want to know everything because you've, you've come out of this, I'm lucky I found God, this is unbelievable, to say, so what does this mean now? How do I know God is there? And take me on the journey to help me learn about this God that I've just discovered. So it's a very communal social time. Usually click in with a group. In fact, that's, when I was in this phase, that's when I met Sue. We, we met actually at a church that we were both attending. So it's very social. You hang out together, you eat together, you do other stuff together. And there's a sense of real community here. And often you tie yourself to either that faith community or to the leader of that faith community because you don't have to figure out all the answers. They're ahead of you. And you think, if I just sit and listen and and absorb and take in what they're giving me, I'll actually get the answers I need that I'm looking for. Which actually creates some problems a bit further on down the track that contribute to us hitting the wall. But at this stage, it's a sense of innocence. And so this sort of grounds us. It sort of gives us the tools of Christianity and being a disciple. The next one, uh, it's called the productive life. So you've been lucky enough to find Jesus. Now you've learned how to use the Bible, attend what worship is about. You love going to church. You're blended to a community. You're connected to a leader. So now you want to actually do something with all the new knowledge you've just discovered. I've got to get involved. I want to help, uh, you know, either help the community I'm connected to, or I want to help save the world. I want to help change the world. So it gets a bit cause-driven. And what normally happens for people in this phase is they do a spiritual gift inventory. You ever done one of those? Now, I'd like to talk about them another day. I'm not going to do it today because some of them aren't that good, by the way. But anyway, we, we, we just hungry. We, so we've come out of, I've learned all this new stuff about who God is, how we follow God, God's plan for the world. I've got to do something with that knowledge. Now I've got to put it into practice. That's this phase here. So it's about doing, serving. I'm all in. I'm committed. I've got to get connected and involved. Help me someone. And so you get either put on a team or you look for somewhere to serve, either, either within the community of faith or in some other like parachurch organisation like, say, Compassion or World Vision or, or you know, people working amongst uh, drug addicts or prostitutes. You're, you're involved somehow. You want an expression of, what, of who you now sort of have learned all this sort of stuff about God. So this is really about feeling pr- productive for Jesus, fruitful. A feeling that you've actually reached some sort of goal and purpose in your own life. You have a bit more meaning because you feel that God has put you there to do something within that group. A a verse that would encapsulate this is is the one out of Romans 8.31. If God can be for us, who can be against us? A lot of new Christians quote that verse, right? Because they're so committed. They're really involved. They're connected. And we feel rewarded. We actually feel we're contributing. 
which we should. We should feel like we're making a difference and contributing. But there's a few downsides that we start to hit sometimes around this phase, and that is we can't talk to anyone else without trying to get them to do what we're doing. Now, I went through this. You know, when I first started doing some mission work in Africa, I wanted everybody to do it. So John, John's down there. Is that right, John? I think John got involved as well. We, we all wanted everyone to do it. So what, it becomes a bit annoying to the other people in the group <laughs> because you don't understand why they can't see the important or the urgency and you get frustrated. They get sick of hearing about it <laughs> because their passion or gifting is somewhere else but we don't quite understand that we have a difference yet. And so you can, you can become a bit annoying to other Christians. Um, you actually insist that other people see things the way you do whether it's your view of God, your view of the church. And here's the funny thing, you can become legalistic and moralistic. In fact, the faith community you're connected to or the leader, you know, whether it's an international speaker or a local church leader or a connect group leader, the person that you really feel is giving you all the answers you need for your life, whatever, whatever moral legal code they have, you actually have to, you have to follow their legalism or their moralistic thoughts to fit into the group. And if you don't, you know you're not quite fitting in. And in fact, um, some of us have been around long enough, we've actually seen people being pushed out of groups because they don't follow the moral code. Which is a problem, right? It's not very godly, but that's part of this, this phase. That can lead to burnout. Or the feel, the, this sort of building sense of frustration that I'm doing all this stuff for God, but it's not making much difference. I thought it would help Greg. You know, Greg really needed to get involved in missions. And he doesn't care about it. So we, we start to get this sense of frustration because whatever, whatever area we're passionate about serving in or feel committed to, and other people don't quite share the same um, degree of passion around it, we get a bit frustrated with them and, and we can be giving out so much that we need adulation, congratulations to keep us motivated to keep serving. And when we don't get it, we start to dip and begin to get frustrated and burn out. Now, I know you're all perfect, but in my situation, sometimes when I've served on teams, some of those Christians are so frustrating, <laughs> right? They're really annoying. They're not like me. They don't think like me. They want to do, you know, they want to do the ministry this way. I, don't, I can see it's not going to work. They're not listening to it, you know. So we, bump, we start to bump up against some challenges in this stage where we feel like it's not working like we thought it would. The church really isn't what I expected. Or that leader, you know, that Greg, he's not actually, he hasn't given me what I wanted. You know, a couple of months ago or a year or two ago, I thought he was the greatest. But actually now, not only is he not giving me what I need, the whole church is actually a bit, it's not really what I thought it was going to work out to be. And then we actually hit the wall. Some crisis, so go to the next one, thanks James. Some crisis comes into our life that is so traumatic and horrific. We, we don't understand why God would allow this to happen. Now I've seen a whole lot of different types of walls. So it can be depression. By the way, Maisie, that was fantastic. I've never been illustrated as a Christian as a tied-up goat that got a slap <laughs> to get on my way. But it fits what I'm talking about. Because actually, you know, it can be, so it can be depression. It can be finding out you can't have children. 
It could be um, a church split. It could be the moral failure of another Christian that you looked up to. It could be you lose your house or you don't have an income or you get diagnosed with a disease or you watch someone you really love die. Your wall's not going to be my wall, but the dynamic's exactly the same. We think, what on earth is going on? I thought this Christian stuff and the way I saw God is he's my ultimate rescuer. Why is he letting this happen? Which is a great question, right? Why does God let it happen? Now, because when we're facing a wall, we, we forget that every biblical account we have, they had to face their walls. We just forget that. Or we've never been taught that. That actually it's normal. If you're on this discipleship journey, even though your wall will be unique to you, what it does in you and what God is doing as a result of it is exactly the same for all of us. And so we don't realise that, effectively we want to avoid the wall. We don't realise that it's going to do something that's actually so deep and so different on our Christian journey and within our Christian faith and our relationship between God and ourselves, everything within us wants to avoid it. So again, you're more perfect than me, but sometimes I've said to God, I will do anything if you take this away, right? Did Jesus face the wall? You ever read the account in the Garden of Gethsemane? I'll do anything. I've done all this for you, God. Why is this happening? This is so unfair. And, you know, we go to church and we hear God is good and we feel like, I don't think so. We never say it, right, because moralistic, you've got to stick with the crowd. But, you know, we don't, when we hit the wall, it's so traumatic and crisis-filled. And by the way, you can hit any one of them. Uh, Sorry, you can hit it more than once for different reasons. And this is really, I know on my illustration here, it looks linear. But in actual fact, think of a bowl of spaghetti. Because you can actually go back to different stages. And in different issues in your life, you can be at different phases at the same time. So it's not, I've, I've illustri- I couldn't illustrate it any other way. I had to look, I tried to make it look like a hiking map. Because it is actually a journey we're on. But the wall is so, so much a deep crisis and trauma for us. And here's what most Christians do, particularly in Protestant and particularly in our expression of Pentecostalism, we don't push through it. We beg God to take it away. We do anything to try and avoid it. And we, we do quickly realise... We can't avoid it. We want to go around it. We try to climb over it. But you have to go through the dark night of the soul. You've got to go through the valley of death. There is no, the, that is the journey for all of us. There's no negotiation. There's no pleading. God wants you to walk through the wall. We don't understand why at the time. And here's what I found personally, being vulnerable again, is Other Christians around me at the time don't understand my wall. And in fact, because most other Christians don't push through it, they can't help me. And I I feel that. I feel like I'm the only one. And I feel if I actually say, if I talk about my crisis or my trauma, and it's like a wrestling with God. You know how Jacob wrestled with God? Sue and I have been reading the Bible in the morning and we just read that story in Genesis where you know, Jacob grabs hold of the angel of the Lord and doesn't let go. And you know the story. I don't know whether God got just annoyed with Jacob that he wouldn't let him go. 
but for the rest of his life, he limped. There's something about pushing through the wall that makes you walk differently. And you think it's a disability, but in actual fact, it's a result of you wrestling with God. That's the wall. That, that encapsulates the wall. It's this wrestle between you and God. And other people around you don't understand it, but usually because they've avoided it. They've actually regressed and just, they just sit in stage three. They'll just serve. They think that's as far as they can mature because they won't push through the painfulness of the crisis of the wall. Our automatic reaction when we hit the wall is, if I just had more faith, if I just prayed the right prayer, if I just read more. Now that's not you either, that's me, right? And we hear sermons like, we hear teachings like that, right? Pray more, read more, trust more, more faith, more this, more that. And it's not working for us. So here's actually what happens is all the previous knowledge and answers about Christianity and God that you had in the first three phases don't work when you hit the wall. That's actually part of the point of the wall. They don't, they, they don't have enough credibility anymore. This is a much deeper, personal, sometimes emotional issue. Sometimes it's past hurt that gets raised. Sometimes it's unresolvable stuff that you can't negotiate and God's going to journey you through that wall to grow you so you don't need superficial Christianity. You need something deeper. And actually, people who journey through these walls, they don't have to be told to trust God anymore. They just always trust God in the good and the bad. As Job said, do we accept good from the Lord and not the bad? It's a great question, right? Because sometimes in our version of Christianity, we only want to accept the good. So this is about not your lack of faith. In fact, again, hear me. My goal today is to the Holy Spirit to give you the courage and the strength to push through your wall. Whether you're currently going through one or have faced one and haven't resolved it or you will face one in the future, not to give up on your faith. Far too many Christians are sort of superficial at their understanding of the journey of discipleship and they give up because they become, my favourite word is crusty, right? They're like crusty, the clown, right? They become critical, critical of other Christians, critical of Christian leaders, critical of the church, critical of God. They even start blaming God. Well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow that to happen. I don't know where they got that theology about. They probably haven't been reading the whole thing or even just read one person's story in this book and understand their wall. You'll spot it. From today on, you're going to spot walls as you read stories. And so this is a much deeper journey, which leads us to, to the next one. The next one is a journey inward. In actual fact, people who studied this, and there's a reams of stuff written about it um, over the centuries, as I said, but they say that the wall... And the, and the next stage, the fourth one, the inward journey, are actually interlinked. But they're, so, they're quite different in a way, but they actually naturally follow each other. Because what your crisis and trauma does, it pushes you inward. You're on a deeper search between you and God. Whereas the first three is external stuff motivates you. So the church, the leader, other brothers and sisters, other Christians that you know. They, they're the sort of, you're sort of motivated in your Christian walk by external factors. 
what the wall does is actually say none of that's good enough anymore it worked back then but in actual fact in this moment of your life that is superficial and inconsequential it's not enough and so it now becomes an inward focused journey in your discipleship who am i and what often happens is we become much more aware of how sinful we are how immature we are how broken we are how wretched we are which is you know the hymn we sing in amazing grace the slave trader who went through his wall and then wrote a hymn that we all sing amazing grace how wretched we are but here's what the inward journey does if you push through your wall and don't give up your faith you realize you can be broken dysfunctional but god really does love you anyway in fact what i mean Maisie was amazing this morning what she said when god forgive when jesus forgave you you don't have to do anything now that's hard to believe in we're so western around success and you know, you've got to contribute and we've been even internally in, in faith communities and churches we use that language unfortunately um, and it is hard to separate like how do we express certain things another way so i'm not criticizing that but we also have to teach that on the inward journey that actually fact god loves you so much he died for you even if you never accepted him you don't have to change anything to receive his love but up here we don't really believe it in the moralistic part of our journey we don't teach that you can't teach that because well in my early years as a christian um, if if that came up our church leaders would say we don't want to give license for people to do anything they want right that's sort of the counter argument and of course moralistic christians they use the bible to defend their their particular viewpoint which is unarguable right has anyone ever said to you no but the lord says this and they open the verse and you think to yourself how am i going to argue against that right even though in here you know it's not quite right like the spirit of it's not right but we use the we use scriptures to defend our legalism or our moralism um, and we often don't use the grace or the love part of scripture at the same time and so he, here's what happens on the inward journey all that gets stripped away in fact that's how i in my hitting the walls a number of times in my life um, every i feel like i've been stripped and there is nothing left but just me and god nothing i've ever done doesn't matter how many christian meetings i've attended how many times i've prayed how many how much bible knowledge i have or nothing matters that that's just gets stripped back now i'm not saying we don't do those things we're doing it right now we need to but what we need to do also is to journey inward so it is actually all i want is god and actually here's what the inward journey does you realize you're not really put on earth to do something because that's what we're told from stage one two and three we're really here to walk with god just like adam and eve did in the cool of the evening in the garden in the original creation god just wants us to walk with him now it's not that we don't do but we don't need the same motivations because we're a bit more mature now we've grown up we've been through the wall we've been through our crisis and our we're different it's not that god's different this is the great irony it's like a paradox it's not that god's different somehow i'm the one that's different 
There's a, there's a deeper connection to my God. I don't have to rely on hearing a motivational talk or a sermon. I don't have to rely on my favourite international preacher or my favourite Christian book. I don't have to rely on getting together with other Christians. In fact, if no other Christians exist on the earth, I still have a relationship with God. That, that's what happens. And then this is pushes you what's called the outward journey. You're actually now re-emerging totally different as a disciple. A good illustration of that is, let's pick on Paul, Apostle Peter again. So he's denial of Jesus. And then you get to Acts chapter 2 and 3. And he stands up and he preaches. I mean, two different people, right? Because he had to go through his own wall. And now he's, re- he's re-emerged differently. He sees Jesus differently. When he denied him and had to actually go through that process that conversation and process of that conversation with Jesus where he receives Jesus' love even though he denied knowing him. That resulted in him standing up and now he doesn't need the same motivation. In fact, he became such a different person. He was crucified upside down, history tells us, because he didn't want to be crucified the same way Jesus was. Here's what the outward journey does if you get there because not, not all Christians are there. You don't fear anything else. Because once you really know God in the midst of a crisis, nothing else can take that away from you. Now, we read it, right? We read it in Corinthians, but it's only head knowledge, right? We read about nothing can separate us from the love of God, not demons, not angels, not heights, not death. We read that and we oh, yes, that's great. Then we hit the wall. It's like, hang on a minute. I don't feel God's love. In fact, I think he's against me. So the inward journey results in an outward journey where now it really is you don't even fear death. But you have to go on the journey. And then the last one, now, you know, I'm a bit older now, I can say it. Only older people end up in this stage, according to the researchers and writers on this. It's the life of love. You know, sometimes you... you um, you meet an, uh, an old Christian, so not just being Christian longer than you, but they're older in age as well. And just being in their presence, they're always so sweet and warm and they just, they just exude the presence of God, right? So, I mean, one globally that's known is Mother Teresa. But, there's, I mean, you know, we don't know, we never knew, we personally knew her, but we have people in our community just like that right here in this church. I could name a few. That you just like being with them because... They don't need anything from you. They're not trying to fix you. They just love on you all the time and encourage you. And you, you just feel better just from being with them, whether you have a coffee or you have a quick chat, whether you have dinner together, or you just see them at church. You just really like being with them. And that's because their life has been transcended from their own selfish motivations and ambitions as a disciple to actually just flowing out the love of God wherever they are. And whoever they're with, they can do it with their enemy and their friends. It doesn't make any difference to them. So here's the last thing. Last slide. Thank you, James. It matters how you respond to your war. Only you choose how to respond. And it's tough. There's no... I'm not going to stand here and give you a three-point sermon on what to do because it's different for all of us. I can tell you what I did, which is where I'm going to do now, and what Sue and I did um, when we hit a wall some years back and it was life, we're talking about life-altering crises where you know 
that you don't have the emotional energy or even the spiritual strength to get through it. And so here's what we, we did. We, first thing we did is we kept, and this is not very theological. I know you think I'm a great theologian, <laughs> but I can't put it any other way. Yeah, come up, Joe. I can't put it any way. We kept sweet with God. That's very theological, right? So we were in so much pain, this is Sue and I, we didn't have a church home. But we said we're going to keep going. Because I knew in here, I needed God's love. And I wasn't about to give up on him. Even though it was the hardest thing, you know, you walk into a church and us Pentecostals, we're so vitriolic. Everything's about better, greater, faster, stronger. You know, with anyone think we're a Ferrari or something. <laughs> it's never about suffering deeper, humility, stripping away. You know, that, that's really more Christianity than better, faster, stronger. But we knew we needed it. But I walk into church and sometimes it was hard to sit there. Because singing victory stuff and motivational preachers get up, they're always so positive and you just want to go up and prick them with a pin, burst their balloon. Because you're in deep grief, right? We were in deep grief. And this went on for nearly two years. But we knew God loved us. And I knew, this is how I phrase it, I had to put myself in the arena to hear from him. And if I just sit at home moping, I don't hear God the same way. Now, not that God can't speak, but it's like filtered through my pain or through my accusations against him or my accusations against other people, even my accusations against the devil. Some people think that the devil's responsible for the wall in their lives. Some people think God is. Some people think other Christians are, the world is. Whoever you want to pin it on, you have to go through it. It really doesn't matter who caused it. Because God wants to take you into a deeper space with Him. So we kept sweet with God. Never stopped. It was difficult. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It was. The other thing we did is, we, I'm going to cry. But we, we kept sweet with each other. I've looked around other Christians who have given up the faith and they get so nasty to other people. We weren't going to do that to other Christians or to each other. So that's my advice to get through the wall. Now you might think, oh, I haven't hit it. It's just a matter of time. Because it's part of all of our journey. You read any Bible story, you think of any other older Christian you know, have a conversation with them. They might not use the word, the wall, but they'll tell you about their crisis moments that they had to push through and it was painful. But the reason that they're still in the faith and they can give so much is because they pushed through it. If they didn't push through it and stayed, stayed at stage two or three, they'd be still a superficial, immature, insecure believer. And we've got to get past that. 